We're going to read from God's Word. The scripture reading is from John chapter 12, pages 20 to 33, which you'll find on page 1080 of our Pew Bibles, and Jeremy is going to read God's Word to us. John 12, reading from verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. These great words from John chapter 12 come after Jesus has just come into Jerusalem and what we call the triumphant entry. Palm Sunday, that Sunday before um, his resurrection. Uh, Five days before Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Six days before Good Friday. Five days, must be seven. Anyway, Palm Sunday. He comes in triumphant. And he goes to the temple. Goes to this great feast uh, that we read about. As Jeremy read, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They want to see Jesus. And then Jesus starts to explain what I'm calling today the glory of the cross. And really these words from verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And later he explains, When I am lifted up from the earth, verse 32, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So we know from this passage that the hour that has come to be glorified is actually his death on a cross. The hour is the hour of Jesus' death. So I'm asking the question, how is Jesus' death glory? How is the cross glory? It's a terrible way to die. It's so terrible that even the Romans... Uh, and a number of decades after that stopped crucifying people because even they themselves thought no matter how bad people are this is a terrible way to, to take their life to kill them 
So even the Romans stopped after a period of their form of capital punishment being crucifixion, because even they find it such a terrible way to die. Where is the glory in dying on a cross? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Where is the glory in Jesus' death on a cross? First of all, we to remember what glory is. When you think of glory, it's actually the same meaning as the English word matter. Both originally meant physical heaviness. If you put something of matter, great matter, great glory, of heaviness in a stream, it stays in the stream. Uh, it doesn't go anywhere. It stands against the flow. But if you put something that has little matter or little glory in a stream, the stream just carries it away. So the word matter and the word glory originally both meant heaviness. But then they also came to mean that which has significance. And so something that is really important, something that is uh, significant, lastingly significant, something that really matters. So we have matter for heaviness and matter, something that really matters for significance. Glory is the same. Glory was originally something that was heavy, weighty, and then metaphorically it became that which is significant in itself, something that is substantial, something that is really important. So when Jesus says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, He's saying that even with my miracles over the last three years, calming a fearful storm and other miracles, even with my great healings like cleansing the leprosy from a man's skin and other miracles, even with my great teaching that the common people marveled at, uh, even with my love of the marginalized and those on the fringes of society, even with all these great things that people, when they heard it, gave great glory to God and they said, the Redeemer is here, the Messiah is here. Even though the, these things were glorious and they were significant, Jesus says the most glorious and the most significant event is actually ahead of me. The hour now has come, despite these three years, for the Son of Man to be truly glorified. For you to know my true significance, that the cross is the most glorious thing that I have yet to do. Just over 101 years ago, in the first week of November 1918, in the middle of World War I, still raging across Europe, the engineer in charge of the North Region Railways in France was instructed to find a suitably discreet place which would accommodate two trains. In a forest on the outskirts of Copenhagen in France lay an artillery railway emplacement. Early on the morning of the 8th of November, 1918, a train carrying Marshal Foe and his staff and British officers arrived on the, the siding to the right. At 7 a.m., a train from a different direction arrived on the left-hand track with the delegation from the German government seeking an armistice. 
There's only 100 metres between the two trains and the entire area was policed by gendarmes placed every 20 metres. For three days, the two sides discussed the terms of the armistice in Marshal Foe's private carriage number 2419. And then at 5.30 a.m., on the 11th of November, 1918, the leader of the German delegation signed the armistice document. And a few hours later, that signature became a reality as the word went out to all the battlefield fronts that hostilities were to cease at 11 a.m., a few hours later, on the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. The train that was used went back after the war into normal service uh, and then it was withdrawn and it became the French presidential train and then from 1921 to 1927 that train was put on exhibition in Paris. But then eight years after this armistice in 1918 it came back and was returned to the exact spot where the armistice was signed and that carriage itself was placed on that spot where the Germans signed their surrender. It stood as a monument to the defeat of the Kaiser's Germany. They cleared the ground around the track and placed the carriage in the exact spot where victory in Europe became a reality. And that was until 12 years later when a second world war had broken out and Nazi Germany was on the attack all the way through France and France surrendered. Where would this armistice of the second of France be signed? Hitler saw that the French must sign the armistice in the same railway carriage where the Germans had signed that first armistice 21 years earlier. Hitler saw the location of this carriage as a supreme moment of revenge. And so on the 22nd of June 1940, swastika-bearing German staff cars bearing Hitler and Goring and Kittel and others swept into this forest in Copenhagen. And in the same carriage, demanded and received the surrender from France. You can imagine... German pride about this reversal of history. The Germans took that carriage back to Berlin as war raged across Europe and it was exhibited for all the German people to see. The war continued and then with D-Day landings on the 6th of June, the Allied army advanced into, across Europe and into Germany as early as 1945. The Germans decided that this carriage must be removed to a safe place out of Berlin, so they removed it 160 miles away to the town of Ordroff. But as an American armoured column entered that town, the SS did not want the prospect of the German army signing a surrender in this train carriage for a second time. That would be too humiliating. And so the SS soldiers guarding it set it ablaze as they retreated, and it was completely destroyed. After the war, the Copenhagen site was restored and in the armistice of 1950, a replacement carriage, correct in every detail, was rededicated. It was an identical carriage built in the same batch as the original 1913 carriages. 
It was also a carriage that had operated during the First World War in 1918, but this one was simply renumbered 2419D. Why all this work over one carriage? It's just a railway carriage. There's many other ones operated. What's so special about this one that it should be placed in a museum for all to see? What made this one unique? Because of what took place in it. Because it celebrated a World War victory and the peace that came because of that victory. There were many carriages, but this one was special because of what took place in it. There were many, many crucifixions in Roman times. But Jesus' one was unique because of who died on it, because of the victory that his death accomplished. What is unique about the cross of Christ is because of who died on it. This perfect man, this son of God, a man who was full of grace and truth and love. He was Emmanuel, God is with us. He was God's presence, Redeemer coming into the world. He had done no one wrong. And this sinless one died the death of a sinner. That's what made this cross unique. Because of who died on it. And because of the victory that his death accomplished. Death is our greatest enemy in life. Wherever you live, whoever you are, whether you're royalty, whether you're a billionaire, a student, even a minister, whatever name you give to define yourself, death is humanity's greatest enemy. And Jesus conquers this worldwide finality of death by rising again. Where is the victory on his cross? Because he rose again. Death no longer has the last word. Life now has the last word through faith in Jesus. Jesus is the life bringer. And because he is the life bringer, he is the relationship restorer between us and the creator, God. There's hope for our lives through faith in Jesus. There's eternal life promised through faith in Jesus. This is the victory that the cross of Jesus proclaims. The devil does not want you to glorify in the cross any more than the SS wanted to sign their retreat in that railway carriage for a second time. It was too humiliating for them to actually sign their surrender in that same carriage that they'd done in the First World War. I'd rather blow it up than have to face the humiliation of doing that again. The devil would want you to say, I'd rather live my life without relevance to the cross of Jesus than have to take God seriously. Let's just keep God as an addition to our lives. Go out and experiment with life. You feel a bit empty, then 
Try this to fill your emptiness. Buy this, do this. The devil does not want you to make you realize that what Jesus did on the cross is actually the peace that you long for and the hope that you desperately seek in life. How does the cross show forth the glory of God? That his miracles and his teaching and uh, his presence uh, did not. It's because his death conquers that great enemy that we must all face. And we see the extent of God's love for us by the fact that every human being now has this hope in Jesus offered to them of eternal life. That we live our lives with the significance of Jesus' love by the fact that he died in our place. A minister writes about talking to a woman who'd become a Christian before she came to his church. She had lived a pretty miserable first part of her life. She was a very lovely woman. She was beautiful. And what had happened, that was from the time she was 14, she had never not had a boyfriend. She had spent the next 15 years of her life always having to have a man who loved her and was after her. She always had to be on some man's arm, and it made her feel special and significant. But then she began to realize, as she got older, that it was just ruining her life. This desperation to have a boyfriend, to have a man in her life. So she went to a counselor. And as she talked, the counselor says, you have what's called a Cinderella complex. You can look up that, that term. It's, it's a true term. You've decided that the only way you will ever feel worthwhile, valuable, and substantial if some man loves you. You've given your significance to the male gender, and now what they think of you is driving your life. So she says, what do I do to the counselor? They said, well, you have to go out and get a career, and then you'll know you're worthwhile. She says, if I go out and get a career, then won't I be as emotionally in bondage to my career as I was, was to men? And they said, oh, I see your point. She says, well, how do I know I count? How do I know I'm significant? How do I know my life has meaning? And it wasn't until she became a Christian that she realized that if Jesus Christ, if someone as glorious as that, Someone as significant as that man who walked this earth over 2,000 years ago would actually do this for me, to give my life, to die and rise again so that death would not have the last word, but life would have the last word, that Jesus is in the business of bringing life to people, that he would love me that much. Now I know that I matter to him. And so I can have a career now, but it does not determine my significance. Jesus determines my significance. I can have a relationship now if I want to, but it no longer drives my worth. Jesus determines my worth. Jesus shows me I count to him because he gave his life to defeat my greatest fear in life, death itself and to make me a child of God, so that through faith in Jesus, as my Redeemer and Lord and my Saviour, 
by dealing with that last great enemy that came when sin came into the world and conquering it in my place, I have the hope of life eternal. So when she stopped glorying in anything else but the cross, and she started glorying in what Jesus had done for her on the cross, she got the glory in her life that she had been searching for all those years. She got the significance that she longed for you for. Some of us, until we glory in the cross of Jesus, until the overwhelming weight and significance of the fact that God says, I love you, I will never forsake you, I died for you, until that becomes a driving thing of your soul, you'll never have peace. We don't come to God for peace. We don't come to God to have our needs met. We come to God for forgiveness and hope and allow the victory of the cross to be the central significance of our life. We give God the glory. And then we get the peace and the significance and the needs met because we have first loved him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that's why we may do other things, the celebration in the church, harvest, Christmas, Easter, but communion that we did last week is a most special event in the life of our worshipping year because we come back again and again to that which is most glorious in the life of Jesus, his death, his blood shed, his body broken, but three days later he rose again as the conqueror of that last great enemy. There are many carriages in France. You can go to Copenhagen and you'll see that carriage, the replica one, on the, you'll see the spot where victory accomplished, was accomplished in Europe and peace came. You can go to Jerusalem and they might tell you where that spot was and even if you can't find the spot, it doesn't matter where the cross was because The effects of the cross, of what Jesus did, is what we receive by faith now. The victory that he has over death is our peace now because of who he was. He was God himself in our world, doing things that we could not do for ourselves. In that hope, let us pray. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would enable us to see that we do not center our lives on you and give you the glory that's due you. We do not glory enough in the cross, the death of Jesus, and the terrible death that he went through by crucifixion. We tend to glory in so many other things that are so trivial. And our lives are just driven by them, but we are just as bankrupt from them. Father, you ask us to glorify you, because you know it's the only way we will know we finally count, finally know we are significant, finally get rid of this sensation of being weightless and inconsequential, of being forgetful and ignored. 
Father, glorify your name in us as we realize your great love for each of us. And that your glory, your significance, your weightiness over our lives becomes ours. And the peace that comes to our lives because of that is the overflow of our worship of you. And so, Lord, as we prayed about the problems and the struggles that we may have, maybe our greatest prayer, Lord, is that we see your great love that touches this world through the life, through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus. Hear our prayer. Teach us, Lord, what it means to commit our lives to you, to come to the cross, to ask forgiveness for our wrongs, for our forgetfulness of God's way, and to commit ourselves to be your disciples, knowing that this is the way of peace and of significance and glory and joy in our lives. For we pray in the name of Jesus, as Savior and Lord. Amen.